0: Okay. Good morning. Welcome to Sunday. That's what I like to say. That's my little catchphrase that my family cringe at every time. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dale and I'm one of the elders here at New Life Community Church, which is one church that meets in multiple locations. My message this morning is based in the book of Hebrews and I'm going to be plagued by a fly. Uh, (laughs) Specifically, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter one. And the title of my message is The Supremacy of Christ. Now, some of you in your Bibles, you might even have that as the main title. Um, I'm not stealing it. It is actually what it actually says. It is about the supremacy of Christ, uh, and we will discover that together. Now, as I was prepping for this preach, I got a little bit sidetracked, I must confess, when I was thinking about the title, The Supremacy of Christ. Uh, Because I spent far too much time considering how that made me think of the Bourne movie franchise. Have you heard about those? The Bourne Supremacy? And it made me think maybe we missed a trick with our Hebrews preaching series. um, Because we could have done... (laughs) we, We could have done the Christ identity, couldn't we? We could have done the Christ supremacy. The Christ ultimatum. Not sure about that one. Uh, We could have skipped right over uh, the other film, uh, which is the, um, what is that called? The legacy film. That was Pants. So we just go straight to Jesus Christ uh, as the last one. So uh, we're not going to do that, but I am putting that in the bank for another time that we approach Hebrews. Today, we are going to start where the book of Hebrews rightly does, by thinking about Jesus and who he really, really is. And as we do, it's my hope that our faith as a church family and as individuals is stirred. It's my hope that our eyes are raised heavenward and our hearts and our minds are filled with awe and wonder. And the one who is superior to all others in authority, majesty, power and glory, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. I'm going to pray. King Jesus, as we come to explore your word, to discover more about you, I pray, would we catch a glimpse of your glory this morning? Would we catch that kind of panoramic view of who you are, of your majesty, your might, and might our hearts be filled with awe and wonder as we consider and contemplate you this morning? Amen. So what I'd like us to do is we're going to read through the whole of chapter one first together. And then I'm going to break some of those verses down. And I'm going to mix up the order a bit. And I'm going to put some of them together and talk about them together. So after I've read it through with you, don't worry too much about following through in your Bibles. Just dig dig into what I'm saying. So Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways... After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? The first thing I want to talk about, the first thing I want to look at is Jesus as the last word. For those of you who do want to follow it, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 2a. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now the thing is, this sentence really sets up, I think, everything that follows in this chapter. It sets up a contrast. Long ago, at many times... And in many ways, God spoke. But in these last days, at this time, he has spoken in this one way. In those days, God spoke through the fathers. That's the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he spoke through the prophets like Moses, Isaiah, Malachi. But now, in these days... He's spoken to us directly through his son Jesus. And that means we no longer need to look to the patriarchs or to prophets to hear what God says because he's spoken directly to us. I change gears slightly. I, you know, I hate I hate sending emails. I'm always terrified that what I've written Uh, won't carry my feeling it won't carry my heart I worry that the person reading it will hear anger or disappointment or frustration or for those of you who know me most likely sarcasm because none of that would be in my heart of what I'm saying so I always try to use emojis to clarify like the tone or the meaning of my emails Uh, The reality is that looks incredibly unprofessional. (laughs) My emails, they've been written by a teenager on their iPhone. Yeah, smiley face, smiley face, wink face. Just so everyone knows, it's all good. If you have received one of those emails, sorry about that. (laughs) What I much prefer is a face-to-face conversation. Because I can be me, right? I can share my heart, I can share my feelings. I feel I can communicate more clearly and more fully. And there's something, something of that, that's being alluded to in these verses. If we've received such beautiful, wonderful revelation of God indirectly through the patriarchs and the prophets, how much more beautiful, wonderful, and precious is the revelation that comes directly to us from God in the person of Jesus. There's a fullness, a clarity, a richness, a completeness, and a perfection in the revelation of Jesus that is far superior to what was received before. What that means is, in these last days that we are still in, okay, these are the last days the time between Jesus' ascension into heaven and his return to earth to bring judgment, restoration and recreation, what it means is we are not looking for any other, any new revelation of God. What these verses tell us is that Jesus is the last word of revelation to us about God. Why? Because he is God if you want to know what God is like look to Jesus in John 14 7 Jesus says to his disciples if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him again in verse 9 he says whoever has seen me has seen the father this is awesome awesome truth If you know Jesus, then you know God. And even though you may not have seen him in the same way that the disciples did, you have seen him in the pages of scripture. You have seen him in his spirit that dwells in you. And therefore you have seen God himself. What that means is that you know who he is. You know what he's like. You know his heart and ultimately you know how he feels about you. Amen? Amen. The next thing I want to look at is Jesus, creator and heir. So in this section I've grouped together verse 2 and verses 10 to 12. And I'm just going to read them. So, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. And the writer to the Hebrews, speaking of the son says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end this is jesus this is jesus the eternal the unchanging one he existed as god the son before the world was created we know this because it was god the son who created the world who laid the foundation of the earth and whose hands worked to set the heavens in place this is confirmed when we look at uh the book of john john 1 1 to 3 he speaks of jesus and he says in the beginning was the word jesus and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made so in genesis when we read that god said let there be light It's Jesus, the word of God, that creates that light. And not just light, but anything and everything that was created was created by Jesus. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And for him. He's starting to get the scope of this Jesus who Hebrews is teaching us about. And since in the beginning there was nothing but God, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God, that leaves absolutely nothing outside of Jesus' creative authority. Are you beginning to see the magnitude of the majesty of Jesus this morning? How much greater is the artist than the painting or the author than the story? How much greater is the creator than the creation? And it's not just that all things were created by him, but they were created for him. It's not like Jesus created everything and then handed it over to someone else to look after. He is the heir of all things. God the Father has given all things to God the Son as an inheritance. And that means he's given him continuing authority, dominion and care over all things. Brothers and sisters, this should encourage us deeply. We know that this world is wearing out. We know that cognitively and we align it with scripture. Scientists tell us our natural resources are dwindling and our climate is changing. Physicists and astronomers tell us that our universe is expanding and degrading. Order moves towards chaos. Even our sun is burning itself out but we do not need to despair because scripture tells us that one day when Jesus comes again, our awesome eternal creator will exercise his infinite power and he will roll up the heavens and the earth like a worn out old jumper and change it for a brand new one. Now that doesn't divorce us from responsibility to care for our world. We have to be good stewards of what God's given us, but it does mean we can rejoice Knowing that our heavenly father has a plan and a purpose for the universe itself. A new heavens and a new earth. Where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Where death will be no more. Where there will be no more mourning, crying or pain anymore. Because along with the world, all of those things, those former things will have passed away. And so we say, our heart's cry is, come Lord Jesus, come. We long for that day. Next thing I want to look at is Jesus exactly like God. Verse 3a. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is another key theme that occurs throughout this chapter. Jesus is God. And we've touched on it already, but this verse is amongst the clearest, the most uh, candid declarations of the doctrine or the teaching of the Godhood of Jesus that we see in the Bible. This is one of those verses that you look to to say, Jesus is God. The Bible teaches that God is three persons in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of those are fully equal and fully God, the same in nature, substance and character, but they are distinct in role and in personhood. And to help us grasp the reality of some of these things, the writer to the Hebrews uses metaphors, word pictures. In this case, he's using the fact that sometimes the Bible describes the glory of God as a blindingly bright light. And that's often tied to God's presence being particularly uh, manifested. It's a sort of physical symbol of God's perfection and holiness and the honour that's inherent in the being of God. And here... (laughs) Jesus is described as the radiance of that light. If we think about the sun again, imagine the light that comes off of the sun. That light is indistinguishable from the sun. You can't, it's not easy to separate those two things out, but it is in fact distinct from it. This verse also tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Colossians 1 helps us to understand that when it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is what it looks like when God the Spirit takes on human form. We call this the incarnation. And what these verses tell us is that nothing is lost in translation. Nothing about God is diminished or lessened in the process. Jesus, in these verses, is both fully God and fully man. We can also see that as as God, Jesus operates with supreme authority. Because he upholds the universe by his powerful word, yeah? Again, Colossians 1 says, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're talking about the supremacy of Christ, the greatness, the all surpassing greatness of Christ. Nothing is outside of Jesus' authority. No area is off limits to him or unknown by him. In fact, the only reason that the universe or your atoms are holding together at this moment is because Jesus is willing it to be so by his powerful word. Again, Jesus is shown to be utterly supreme. No other thrones, no other dominions, authorities or beings, whether physical or spiritual, can claim any such things. This is Jesus who is God. Jesus greater than angels, verses 3b to 4. So after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's a couple of things I want to say here. At this point, the writer to the Hebrews is pointing to what happened to the time directly following Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension into heaven. That's what he means when he says he made purification for sins. Jesus' sacrificial death purified or cleansed us of sin so we could be in relationship with God. And afterwards, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because as he cried out on the cross, his work was finished. We have been ransomed. We have been redeemed by his death and resurrection. Jesus' work of salvation is complete. No further sacrifice needs to be made because no further sacrifice could be greater than God the Son laying down his life for those he loves. And he is sat at the right hand of God because that is the highest place of honor. And it's where he now rules in all authority and power. And unlike when he walked the earth before the cross, and the Bible tells us he was for a little while lower than the angels because of his humanity, he is now elevated. To the very highest place and crowned with glory and honour because his name is Lord and God. And that leads us to our final section. Jesus, son, not servant. Verses 5 to 9. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions in verse 13 and 14 and to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation These verses really just double down on what we've already stated about the supremacy of Jesus. But whereas the previous section focused on Jesus' elevation and honour because of his work in salvation, these verses drill down into the honour and the glory and the cosmic status that is inherently Jesus because of his eternal relationship. To God the Father as God the Son. The key point is Jesus is superior to angels because they are simply servants, created beings, ministering spirits sent out to serve God for our benefit, for our sake. Whereas Jesus is eternally God the Son, uncreated. The rightful heir to all of creation. And it's right and it's proper that the angels themselves worship him. And God commands them to do so. One warning I have for you guys is don't be tempted then to focus on angels, angelic beings, or any spiritual beings. They're nothing compared. To Jesus that's where your attention should be don't become preoccupied God's angels may be winds and holy ministers of flame and fire sounds awesome but God the Son has been given all authority and all power in heaven and on earth by God the Father Jesus is God's anointed one and he is therefore the supreme ruler and judge who upholds the universe by the word of his power. There is no competition. In fact, there's nothing with which to compare Jesus. Words themselves fail to describe the glory, the majesty, the authority, the holiness, the perfection of the Son of God. And so we rightly find ourselves in the same position as the angels, gazing in awe and wonder and falling on our faces in reverence to King Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, I, I felt from God to say to us this morning, it is right that we come before our Heavenly Father, having, having heard about Jesus' might, his power, his awesomeness. It's right that we come in worship, in response. So as these guys set up, going to be a little bit longer than I thought it was because we don't seem to have an Alice, but that's okay. What I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us all to stand, if you would, if you're able to. I would ask you to get yourselves into a position of worship. You know what that looks like for you. Maybe that's eyes closed, hands raised. It's definitely hearts open. Maybe it's on your knees, whatever. I want you to consider. I want you to meditate on this Jesus we've been talking about. I want you to think about Jesus, the last word. The beautiful, wonderful, precious, final, greatest revelation of God directly to us. I want you to consider Jesus, the creator and heir, the artist who is infinitely greater than his painting, the author who is unfathomably greater than yes. his story, the creator who is incalculably greater than his creation. The one who not only brought all things into being, but has received all things as his possession forever. I want you to consider Jesus exactly like God, the radiance of God's glory, the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God in human form. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. I want you to consider Jesus greater than the angels. The one who is elevated to the highest place. And crowned with glory and honour because his name is Lord and God. I want you to consider Jesus the son, not the servant. The eternal son of God. God's anointed one. The supreme ruler and judge the one the spiritual servants of God themselves worship. My friends, my brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that this is the Jesus we worship. This is the supreme Jesus that died for you. It is this Jesus who has reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It is this Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. It is this Jesus that God has therefore highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of God the Father. This is the Jesus we worship this morning. Let's respond by raising his banner in this place. By calling out his name. By proclaiming his greatness, his glory and his majesty. King Jesus, we worship you. We lift your name on high. Lord, we find ourselves in our proper place when we gaze lovingly, longingly in awe and wonder at your majesty, your power and your deity. We worship you this morning and we praise you for your humility, for your sacrifice and for your salvation. Amen.